0: Good day, everyone, and welcome back to The Filibuster, the D.C. Democratic Party's podcast where we talk to local and national Democratic leaders about why they are Democrats and what issues are important to them. My name is Charles Wilson, and I'm the chair of the D.C. Democratic Party. We're excited today that our special guest is at-large council member Robert White. Robert, how are you today? I'm doing well, Charles. Uh, How are you? Life is good. Life is good. 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 Yeah. So, like I said, we we start our podcast off the same way, and we ask our guests a very simple question: Why are you a Democrat? Uh, I, I'm
1: I'm a Democrat because, uh, frankly, there there aren't other options, right? The <laughs> Democratic Party is the progressive party. It's uh, the party that stands for and represents the the rights of of minorities, of really moving our country forward, of of women's rights, of so making elections fairer and freer uh so as i see it you know th- th- this is the party of progress
0: awesome well we're we're glad you're a part of the party um so is there anything that you're working on or passionate uh about now um as council member
1: yeah absolutely um my 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 number one passion has been continues to be education uh i just believe so firmly looking at my background i come from a background of, of folks who have not gone to college who have really struggled in this city and you know I'm 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 no special guy right I just you know was really lucky and blessed to have a father who made a lot of sacrifices to to give me a, a, an educational runway that that most people aren't lucky enough to have uh and he, he had to sacrifice in a way that parents shouldn't have to sacrifice to do it so when i look at all the kids in our city that you know are not uh, doing as well in school don't have the the educational opportunities that they should i see myself in them and i feel an obligation to make sure we are pushing ourselves to improve our, our schools and, and making that a priority. So so that's that's a place that I just continue to be very passionate. I push very hard. I irritate a lot of people, but I'm not going to stop doing it. Um, the, the other issue is housing. Uh, I've really, uh, in my five years on the council, I've really tried to think outside the box on the issue of, of housing. You know, again, coming back to personal issues, seeing my family priced out of the city makes me want to make sure that fewer people are, are priced out. So I, I have some really cool policy ideas uh, on affordable housing that I've been pushing forward.
0: Awesome. So you, you've you dropped a couple nuggets. So I want to start with education. You're a parent. Uh, yeah. I'm a parent. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenge uh, facing parents and kids across the city, both on the east side and west side of the city? Yeah. The, the biggest challenge right now is us trying to work with kids at home. So you'll hear like
1: stomping, and you may see some kids
0: run in here, and they
1: may see the same way you're. In. But, but, but in terms of policy, the, the biggest challenges is, is that everybody isn't lucky enough to live in you know, a zip code where you have by right access to a school that, you know, as a parent confidently is going to give your kid the chance, you know, your kid deserves. Uh, but it, it, it really shouldn't be a matter of of where you live, what zip code you live in. Uh, you know, we have school choice. And so you may get into the lottery and get lucky enough to have the opportunity to travel clear across town for that educational opportunity, uh, but but we have to do better and we have to demand better because as a parent, I know that as soon as I had my first daughter, now I now have two. Uh, as soon as I had my first daughter, every other priority took a backseat mm-hmm. to my child, and that's how every parent is. And we're trying to figure out how do we do the best, how do we create the best uh, and most opportunity. Uh, for our kids and so our challenge as parents is to make sure our kids have the opportunity that many of us didn't have.
0: Awesome. So, you know, I, I, want, I want to drop a personal nugget. So, as you are um you know, doing your work on the council and and really pushing the this education conversation. Uh when our son was old enough to uh enter into the lottery, my wife was doing the research and she realized that there was not one Language Immersion Program in Ward 8 and that that was shocking um, And they're you know, they're all over the city, but there wasn't one in Ward 8 How, do, how does something like that happen? Yeah. and and what is how do we fix that? Well, let, let me let me just be
1: very frank and you know, not worry about hurting feelings because we, we all have to, to work together but <clears throat> what I found is that there's a big difference between the folks in suits and ties writing white papers on education Uh, and parents, you know, who have Mm -hmm. lived experiences. And what I know as a parent, because I was in in the same boat when I went into the lottery, my wife and I, every school other than our local school that we Mm -hmm. applied for was dual language, because that's what we Mm -hmm. wanted. And as I talked to other parents, that is what they want, you know, uh, almost across the board, anywhere in the city. And so if that's what parents want, that's what the demand is. And we should have that opportunity in, in virtually every school and multiple opportunities for uh immersion programs dual language programs in every single ward but our government just hasn't yet caught up to uh the the demand of, of parents and and so that that's a place i've been pushing really hard uh on immersion in dual language and uh, and I, and i think we're we've made a lot of progress but uh, we still have a ways to go and i i'm, I'm going to keep pushing that boulder and i and i think we will continue to to expand uh language immersion and, and dual language in the in the coming years.
0: All right, awesome. Um you talk you touched a little bit on housing and you said you had some real creative ideas. Did you want to share any of those? Yeah, I, I would love to and i, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh w- when i got
1: elected uh, for the first time in, in 2016, I, I came in Uh, To office with a policy idea. I understood from my previous work on Capitol Hill uh, Mm. and in economic development that we have a lot of half vacant, fully vacant, older office buildings. Uh, But I also Mm. know because of what I've seen in in D.C. and around the world, that a lot of office buildings get converted into housing. And, And we have an immediate need for affordable housing and workforce housing. So I introduced a bill that will put us on a path to create public private partnerships between these like old building office building owners and mm-hmm. DC government to turn those buildings into affordable housing and workforce housing with the government chipping in money and the the building owners who, who need tenants getting tenants. They're not commercial tenants, but residential. Um, you know, not a lot of people uh, gave that, that idea uh, a lot of energy uh, five years ago, but now that we are in COVID, And we're seeing so many people work remotely and so many businesses saying, look, we're not going to return fully to the way we were. Uh, Our office vacancies are going to be a lot higher. And and so now I think the time is very ripe uh, for for taking this issue on again. So I'm I'm pushing this uh, issue again. I also just introduced a bill called the GAIN Act. And this is uh, an idea to create affordable housing very quickly and inexpensively. Uh, it it costs less to acquire existing housing units than it does to build new ones, and you can do it much more quickly. So I've created uh, a real estate commission and a bill that will go around the city acquiring units and apartment buildings all around the city, putting covenants on those units so that they become affordable housing for 15, 20 years uh, to come. And we, in with this model, can create affordable housing as quickly as we can sign contracts, so uh, and and we can get affordable housing in wards two and three, and stop throwing all of our affordable housing, you know, in wards seven and eight, and in parts of ward five. So, uh, I see a lot of benefits to this. You know, it's time for us to continue to think outside the box. We, we're losing the battle uh, against the housing affordability, so we we got to be willing to to try new tools.
0: Awesome. You know, I was um, I was looking at the census data. Um, like now you can research this particular census tracts, and in my neighborhood in Anacostia, the uh, the median income is forty thousand dollars. Um, in the neighborhood right next door over there in Fort Stanton is about eighteen thousand dollars, but literally right across the river in the at the Navy Yard, do you know what the median income was? It was a hundred and twenty-eight thousand dollars. And that's literally right yeah. across the bridge. I mean, and so, you know, this all relates to affordable housing. You know, people say we, we everyone recognizes that yeah. we need it. But where, you know, why is there so much pushback? Or why is it so hard to get affordable housing on the west side of the city versus... The because side? of the,
1: the cost of, of land, right? So, you know, if mm-hmm. if 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 the government or developer wants to buy a, a piece of land uh, in um uh fairlawn it, it's going to cost substantially less than the same piece of land a stone's throw you know oh, oh, right over the water uh right over over the bridge on on Capitol Hill it's going to cost substantially substantially less and and so um we uh property values are based on uh you know, how, how much a building is going to be worth when it's done. So between the cost of land and the taxes people would would pay on it, it, it just costs so much more. So, and folks really want their bang for the buck, right? So if the government says, look, mm-hmm. we can build five units of affordable housing on Capitol Hill for a million dollars, or we can build 10 right. units in Fairlawn for a million dollars, you know, everybody says, well, we got to build the 10. Uh, but at some point, we have to think mm-hmm. not just uh, quantity, but but quality, quality of life, you know, quality of uh, pushing back a, a, against uh, economic uh, and frankly racial segregation. So so we do collectively have to start to think of these things differently.
0: Awesome. So let, let's let's circle back to your idea about uh, using um, old commercial buildings and turning them mm-hmm. into affordable housing. How? How has that idea been received amongst your colleagues? Um, my that? colleagues,
1: when I you know I was a new council member, and I think you know they they kind of wanted mm-hmm. to support me, and it and the bill was for a study, so I, I was able to get it passed working with with my colleagues. the uh, the, the mayor's team didn't really want to do it, but they are the, are the ones who had to do the study. So the the council did pass it. You know, mm-hmm. I worked with my colleagues who were kind enough to help me fund it. Uh, but the conclusion of the study. Uh, that the administration do, did was, uh, you know, it's an okay idea, but it's not going to work in, in DC because the, the market won't, won't support it. Um, and so once you have a study that says that, it, it really became difficult for me to continue to push the agenda. And so yeah, I had to wait for the right opportunity because I know it works. You know, I used to live, my wife and I, in the Southwest waterfront. And when we moved into to, to this small condo, the building next door was this mm-hmm. tall, old, ugly, old federal government building, like broken windows, like hadn't been used in, you know, who knows how many decades. Um, and that building got mm-hmm. converted into one of the like baddest looking apartment buildings now in the city. Um, and by the time we, wow. we had moved out, you know, and, and it just goes to show what you can do if if you really want to. Uh, but, but we have to work with the private sector mm-hmm. to be realistic, to say, all right, what will it take? you know financially for the city to to give in order for for you all to take on a project make a build old ugly office building beautiful but make it beautiful for for people who are making 40,000, 60,000, 30,000 a year and and so it's doable but it's it's going to cost us some money.
0: Okay. Um well we're flush with cash That's now right. so it That's shouldn't right. be an issue right. <laughs> So, you know, there, there are people who are listening to the podcast who are very passionate about affordable housing and about the ideas that you have. How, if they wanted to help. Well, reach they- out to me. You know, many
1: of my ideas, like the, the GAIN Act, the, the idea of acquiring these units, mm-hmm. th- this, this idea didn't like come to me magically. It came to me from listening. Uh, there's a, a guy who works for the mm-hmm. uh, Georgetown Business Improvement District named uh, Joe Sternleaf. Uh, this is an idea he he mentioned to me when I first got elected. And uh, and I you know I just kind of put a tab on it in my mind to make sure I had time over the years to to research and develop the idea, um, and and other folks come to me with ideas. Uh, so so if if folks have ideas, reach out to me. My my email address is rwhite at dccouncil.us. Uh, and Katie Whitehouse on my team uh, heads up our, our our housing portfolio. She really takes on develops these ideas. So we we work as a team. So reach out to me if if you have ideas that that you think will work.
0: Okay, great. And then, so let's talk a little bit more about the GAIN Act. Um, uh, it, it's been actually
1: received? been received really well. So, you know, the, I think the, the private sector, okay. um, they they always want to see uh, sort of market-based solutions. You know, uh, if, if the government mm-hmm. says, we're going to build more affordable housing by taxing you more, they're going to say, come on, you know, again, uh, and they're going to push back against it. But when the government says, we want to develop more affordable housing by creating partnerships between the government and the private sector, they say, okay, we're, we're ready to go. So I've, I've gotten calls from, from a lot of interested folks who say, you know what, I really like this idea. I think it can work. Here's something I think could be a little different, or here's a way that you, you might want to expand it. Uh, and then the, the average person you know, sitting here kind of looking at the lack of affordable housing, they're reaching out saying, yo, I, I love this idea because I can see how we can uh, create a thousand affordable units within the next six months. If if only we fund this program. Mm -hmm. So, so it's a win-win it's, it's been received really well across the board.
0: All right. So, so there's going to have to be, you guys are in budget season right now. Um, And you know, there's going to be some tug of wars, Um, but what do you see as the win-win for the city? And, and, uh, and the residents. in general with the budget or specific to housing? Well, mm-hmm. as, as, as far as housing, um, as far as education, the, the win-win win win?
1: is um, a, a budget that's transformative. So we we are getting two and a half billion dollars from the federal government. We, we are likely never in our lifetime to see this amount of federal funds come into uh, our coffers. And and so what we have to do in this moment uh, is make sure that post-COVID doesn't look like pre-COVID. So if we'd spend two and a half billion dollars mm-hmm. by moving everything forward just a little bit, then we have not fixed a single thing. We have just kind of pushed the ball a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, what I believe is that we, we have to have transformative thinking here, uh, something that is going to make a real difference for decades to come. For, for people and families of the district. And and where I think we should be putting our money really is universal early childhood education or universal uh, daycare. Uh, as you know, as a, a parent of what's still a relatively uh, young son, you know that the, these daycare bills are substantial, <laughs> more than most of our mortgage, you know? I mean, they throw everything uh, out of whack yeah. and to the point where so many uh, parents and especially mothers have to decide whether they're going to return to the workforce or stay home with their young children. So if we have a city where parents don't have to worry about that, that means they have more cash to spend here, which is going to increase our tax base. It means we have more people, uh, more of our residents who are able to work. And frankly, we're able to hang on to more families. Because right now, um, when, when folks have kids, no matter how much they love D.C., you generally see them thinking, all right, maybe it's time to move to the suburbs. And and we got to keep more of these families because nobody, you know, D.C. is a great place. It's a cool place. But it it really only thrives and lasts if families can stay here, you know, because many single people eventually decide to start families. And if their traditional step is to just leave the city and go to Montgomery County or Northern Virginia, that that's really going to hurt us in the long run. All
0: right, great. So, we are at the end of our conversation, and we always allow our guests to leave um, our audience with any parting words. Anything you want to say uh, uh, to
1: the DC world? Stay involved and and get involved. We we have to continue to uh, demand more from our local government, from our federal government. And, And I would say, just my parting words from our local government demand more in schools because our schools have to work for every single child. From our federal government, and, 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 and Charles, you, you've been a leader on this, demand statehood. Uh, it is not as far-flung an idea today as it was even a year ago. Uh, but we do have to mobilize and show up as D.C. residents. We, we can't be uh, apathetic or, or quiet. we we got to continue to show up to that fight.
0: Well, Councilmember Robert White, thank you so much for joining us on the filibuster. Uh, you are always welcome back. Um, Anytime you want to come back, just let us know. I enjoyed you know, it. I'll uh, be I'll back. Really Thank you. Another episode.